This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca is a vice president and solution architect for Contract Writing System Solutions DOD programs at CGI Federal, and today we're going to be talking about acquisition agility, you know, the opportunities, the hurdles in the procurement system to be agile in terms of bringing new capabilities and innovations to the federal customer. And uh, Rebecca, first of all, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Roger. I'm a listener and I'm kind of geeking out a little bit to be talking with you right now. Okay, well, that's good. Like you know, uh, I, I have to mention every once in a while that I'm a procurement geek, so it's it's good, and I have to remind people of that on the show. So uh, <laughs> it's good to have a fellow geek on the show. So I'm looking, for, I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Um, so yeah, I guess we'll start with um, sort of the lay of the land. Now you know we um, we're starting a new administration, uh, new folks coming in at leadership at various agencies, key agencies. Uh, you know, from a procurement perspective, whether it's GSA or Department of Veterans Affairs, DOD. And, you know, when that happens, obviously, as you well know, Rebecca, people look at the old ways and what's going on and try to figure out, you know, how to put their stamp on things and to, you know, bring reform. So, so just, let's just start with regard to the procurement process. What are you seeing or hearing on the ground um, with regard to potential, you know, you know, reform of the acquisition IT services, you know, new capabilities, access to the commercial market. But one of the terms that we keep hearing is the term acquisition agility. It seems like there's a big appetite for it right now. And, and as we break that down, so agility, if you think about it in terms of how you typically use the word, it's, it's related to yourself as an athlete. It's your ability to move quickly and easily through, through different activities. And so then applying that to the acquisition process, this agility enables agencies to increase the speed in which they're acquiring goods and services while they need to do that in order to support their mission. But they're also then moving through roadblocks and finding efficiencies in the process and anticipation of whatever it is that the agency is going to need in the future. So in the federal government, it's a unique challenge because the agility can't come at the cost of compliance with regulatory requirements and, and agencies need to be able to balance both. Yeah, that's um, as a government contracts lawyer, you know, those compliance issues and are are fundamental to the system, right? They're, they're certain sense not going to go away. It's like, it's how you navigate um, those things while actually finding ways to streamline the process. And, you know, what do you see customers specifically sort of doing to try to quote, be more agile, be more athletic, let's say in their, in terms of their, procurement capabilities to bring capability to their, to the, to the mission. So there's a lot of ways to, to accomplish this. Um, and, and I'm finding that agencies specifically the acquisition group within an agency are looking to be more innovative. Um, so they're looking at the FAR as yes, this is a gigantic book of regulations. Um, in fact, I remember the first time that I ever saw it printed and I had 
a very emotional reaction to it. I think it was somewhere a combination of overwhelmed and just what have I gotten myself into. <laughs> so so they're they're looking at the fire and, and understanding it and then also finding ways to interpret it in such a way that they can bring innovation into their processes so that they can be more quick with their with their acquisitions, but then also set themselves up for success in the future. Um, so that they're not locked down into these systems that they're going to have for 20 and 30 years and aren't able to adapt to the future regulations that will be ever-changing. One of the things that we keep talking about is digital transformation. And, you know, when you when we think about agility and being able to, you know, be more athletic in the procurement system, I, I like that term. I think I'm going to keep, <laughs> keep using that. Um, you know, can you sort of paint a little bit of picture of, you know, what it looks like when an agency is trying to be agile to, to try to digitize um, and why that agility is so, so important to that, you know, that digital transformation. Yeah. So, so when, when you start thinking about digitizing a, a federal agency and having digital transformation, you have to think about the legacy systems that exist. And those legacy systems have formerly been, they've been paper-based, they've been decentralized, and they're extremely complex. So when we're talking about digitizing it, we're talking about taking all of this paperwork that exists and, and affects the mission and affects hundreds of users and finding new ways and evolving ways to now do those, those actions. Um, so for instance, financial processing systems. They are processing everything from, they're a back office system um, and so it's an agency user that's using it, but it's supporting the mission in that it's um, processing everything from a healthcare payment to a visa application. And so as you're doing that digitizing, you have to introduce a lot of flexibility to then evolve the technology while you're still retaining the, the regulations and the compliance that exists behind that system. When it comes to the agility aspect of it, um, one of the biggest challenges that we found is the amount of time that it takes. From the, the agency has the initial requirement that they're going to digitize this legacy system. And then to get all the way through to system implementation, it can be multiple years. And so by the time you've actually then implemented a solution to address that requirement, that requirement's now multiple years old. And so the agility in the acquisition process enables the agency to find efficiencies to not only speed up the procurement, um, ensuring that the solution that you implement isn't already behind the times and in time for it to, to now go live, but then also create that um, adaptability or to, to support the evolution of technologies or regulations that are at play. And so that way, by having that adaptability, the vendor and the government can partner together to ultimately provide whatever the best possible tool is to achieve the government's desired business outcomes. You know, that's just sort of you, you prompted something. And I know you, you know, one of the things just looking at your bio is you're, uh, you're, you're an expert in requirements analysis. And so what you just described, like looking at the functions of a system and whether it touches visa applications or healthcare payments, all those different things. So when you go in to work with a customer agency and you're, you, how do you frame looking at that requirements analysis as that sort of first step? Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful that many government agencies have already started to evolve the way that they think about their requirements. When I started out in my career, if you look back, um, the, the RFPs that were typically coming out for new IT systems included things like screen mockups. So they weren't giving a lot of flexibility to the system integrators to then provide a solution because 
they designed a solution already. In that case, they were really looking for a, a, a custom solution to meet their requirements. Over time now, agencies and their acquisition processes have created more flexibility in what the solution is to meet those requirements. And so now we're seeing requirements that are more outcome focused. And, and I use that term to mean that they, they focus on what they want the system to do, how the user should interact with it, rather than a specific field on a specific page of an application. And so when we come into the environment, we're typically looking at these requirements and um, go through a, a BPR analysis of what are you doing today? What, based on these requirements, is your vision for the future? And let's take a look at our solution and how we can best adapt it to meet your, your agency's requirements. You know, I have to say, Rebecca, what you just described is I was having flashbacks <laughs> and not pleasant <laughs> ones about uh, when I was in government and, you know, especially back in the 90s, it was very, you know, really prescriptive, right? And the government, would, you know, I remember working on a major IT, you know, requirement for a system and it literally five, 600 separate, you know, requirements, performance requirements, or specifics with regard to, you know, what needed to be provided. And that, you know, to your point, I mean, that drove, uh, that drives, you know, a custom approach that doesn't take advantage of actually what's out there in, in, uh, in the commercial market that could actually get you to an agency to the, to the outcome they want. And, um, so, so my, my last question for this segment, I've got about a, a minute left is, you know, so you go from, from, you know, that those that outcome based approach. So uh, you take that and, and you're looking at it from um, a technology perspective to see how you put the building blocks together to get to the outcome they want. Is, uh, and what's that like? <laughs> It's so much fun. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it's, good. You like your, yeah. uh. It's very much what gets me out of bed every morning and makes me love this job. And I'm not sure that I can talk about it in just a minute. <laughs> sure. Well, we can go into the next segment. So why don't we take the break right now when we come back and talk a little about, about that fun aspect of the job. Like, <laughs> so that that'd be great. great. <laughs> okay. That's great. My guest today is Rebecca Weaver. She is a Vice President and Solution Architect for Contract Writing System Solutions, DOD Programs at CGI Federal. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca is Vice President and Solution Architect for Contract Writing Systems, DOD Programs for CGI Federal. And we, you know, uh, Rebecca, the first segment we talked about ad, agile uh, procurement or agile approaches, athletic procurement in a certain sense. And we started getting down to the details and talking about uh, requirements uh, analysis and development. And um, yeah, you made a great point about, you know, outcome approach, outcome based approach, as opposed to a prescriptive sort of, you know, technical requirements approach. Um and um, I want to give you an opportunity to talk uh, about that fun part of your job. And that's, you know, how you go about uh, building that solution to meet the outcomes, the building blocks of the solution. Yeah. So I, as I mentioned, it's, it's my favorite part of my job. Um, this is where we truly partner with our government agencies in order to take a look at their requirements and our solution and merge them up. 
Um, so the solution that, I, that I'm an architect for is a COT solution, um, momentum acquisition. And so momentum is already built for the federal government um, to include the requirements of the FAR and DFAR support and provides that initial starting point for the rigorous compliance and regulatory requirements that, that an agency needs to meet as they're, as, they're, um, as they're following the procurement processes. But each agency then has some unique requirements. Either they are regulations that exist at an agency level or just a certain way that the users want to interact with the system or outcomes that they want to achieve from the system. And so what we typically do is, is by having a solution that while it has the, the depth of capability of a COT solution, it also has a lot of flexibility in how it's configured and how it's designed. Um, so that when we initially get that set of requirements and we sit down with an agency, we're doing almost workshops in the way that we have adaptability of a solution and adaptability of a business process. And we're bringing them together to marry up this, this end product that truly meets the needs of the agency. So it's a lot of workshop-based thing. Um, we'll take a group of requirements, maybe we're looking at solicitation processes, um, and we'll look at their requirements and we'll configure them in the solution. And then we can show them the end-to-end -end business process and what that looks like specific for solicitation and ask for feedback. And that will allow us to, to set different triggers in the system, um, to design, design workflows, design the user, user interface, it's all joint collaboration between us as a system integrator and the agency and, and their, their procurement space that are then involved in the, the solution development. Right. So it sounds like that momentum provides the flexibility not to just build in, you know, it already has like the basic FAR, DFARs, like part of the contract writing system sort of, but it also sounds like you, it can, it can be, um, tailored, for lack of a better word, to address certain business processes or organizational processes that might be unique to a specific customer? Absolutely. And, and that's what you need in a system right now, right? Because there is, technology is evolving so rapidly, the compliance requirements evolve so rapidly, you don't want to implement a system that's going to lock you down to, this is your business process for the next 20 years. You want to find a solution like Momentum that while it has the depth of capability already built in out of the box, provides that additional layer of flexibility or extensibility to use configuration to meet those unique requirements without any costly customizations that you would have to maintain at an agency. Right. Do you, yeah, this is fascinating. So when, you, when you're implementing momentum or working on you know, this, that writing system for procurement system for a customer, does it, do you see customers also using it to try to or modifying their sort of business organization or how actually business is done in that entity and sort of using playing one off the other, like to, you know, reforming your systems. I mean, your, your workflow in a certain sense by using your momentum to try to adjust, you know, behaviors or, or how workflows take place to try to gain efficiencies. You've nailed it. That's exactly why this becomes so much fun because it really, the most successful programs are the ones where you have an adaptable solution as well as an adaptable business process within the agency. And so you're jointly redesigning the solution to create the best possible outcome for the agency. Right. Yeah. I guess you can, you can get, you know, 
efficiencies, you can identify efficiencies in the organization. And in a certain sense, um, it's, it's not just layering on, you know, what's already being done. It's using it to actually do process re-engineering. Is that fair yeah. to say? Yeah, exactly. You've got agency team members who are involved who really know the business process and know what their mission is and what they need to have as an outcome. And then you have these IT-based folks that are bringing the best solution possible and, and understand what the system can do. And so that marriage of, of the two different skill sets really is, is where it becomes a lot of fun. Right. I always like to ask this question too about this, you know, when organizations are, you know, re, you know, are looking at how they're structured or how workflows and all that stuff. How does uh, organization culture sort of play in this? Do you, I mean, I mean, it, it, you know, how you, it seems to me as a you know, supporting a customer, you need to understand how that customer thinks in their culture. You have thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, it does play a, a tremendous part, um, especially when it comes to then fielding the end solution. So there's a huge change management aspect that drives the success of a program. And you need to have, and you're built into the culture, a champion who is able to support their organization that's going to be dealing with the change that comes with new innovation. Um, and so that culture has to be able to adapt to the change and, and really adapting to change comes from leadership who is supporting it and creating a culture of, of um, just ever evolving technology. Right. Openness, I think might be. Yeah. That's so, yeah. So, and momentum, the flip side I want to ask you about, cause, um, and just the way, it, so it's that internal system. How does it inter, if it's a, you know, used for a contract writing system, is that sort of stuff, right? How does it, mm-hmm interface with you know the industry folks who are trying to you know get the contracts to do the work you know uh, you know whether you know in other areas how how does that play you know to the to the outside of the agency i guess oh i see you're asking in terms of the end-to-end business process right. it's not exactly. just the contract writing folks but then there's also industry who's providing opportunities mm-hmm. um, yep so there's a component of it that's industry facing as well um, we call it vendor self-service. And so that's a tool that opportunities within an organization post externally there while they also post to, um, to SAM.gov contract opportunities. Right. And so, but, but there, the, the vendors can come in, they can review the opportunities, they can get any sort of notifications that they need when, when new opportunities become available. And then they submit their, their responses electronically. And so while that benefits the vendor and that they're submitting their responses electronically, they have all of the, the validations to make sure that they're in compliance when they're creating their submission. It also really benefits the contracting office as well, because then there are certain validation checks that the system is already doing, taking those, those manual activities that previously were on the list of contracting officers, just sort of tedious tasks they had to complete and making them technology-based. And so the vendor self-service component is, is what's then vendor facing, allowing them to submit their proposals over and then interfacing in real time back into momentum and getting into the hands of the contracting specialist and officer. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. So my other question is sort of at the other end, and this be last and then we're almost up on the break and you'll tell me if you need more time, but so, <laughs> you know, momentum does then, it, you know, 
tying into the financial systems, right? I mean, that seems to me that's vitally important, right? As an agency is trying to manage, you know, its obligations and its its money flow as well. How how is? I mean, that seems to me is probably a big challenge, especially when you've got you know legacy systems and that sort of thing. Can you talk about that a little? It is such a mandatory requirement. As as you look at um, compliance with audit requirements, it really comes down to having a, a real-time integrated system between your financial and your procurement systems. So Momentum is part of a larger ERP suite um, that in that case, an interface isn't even needed. It's, it's a component of a financial system that's in use at over 100 agencies within the federal government. Um, but then it also supports the real-time interfaces with financial systems. So at the Army, for example, we're using their standard schemas, the PDS and the PRDS, to talk with the financial system to get that real-time validation and funds availability check before you could ever process your contract. So it is truly is end-to-end. Absolutely. It has to be. Yeah, to make a real fundamental difference for the customer. Uh, Great stuff. And Rebecca, we're up on the break. So when we come back, I want to... You know, uh, you, we've talked a lot about momentum, and one of the things you mentioned about it, it's got the far, some of the far and defar stuff built right into it. Is that mm-hmm. right? So okay. I want to, um, uh, yeah, that, I want to talk to you a little about some of the hurdles that contracting officers face in your experience, what you've seen over the years in terms of trying to um, streamline the acquisition process, or hurdles and acquiring IT services. My guest today is Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca is Vice President and Solution Architect for Contract Writing System Solutions, DOD programs at CGI Federal. And I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca is Vice President and Solution Architect for Contract Writing System Solutions. DOD programs at CGI Federal. And uh, we've been talking agile procurement, athletic procurement. We've talked a lot about uh, the momentum um, uh, product and what the capabilities it brings to customer agencies. And I I guess this, this, this segment, I'd like to get your thoughts, Rebecca, on, you know, sort of process. And I kind of teased it at the end of the last segment is talking about, you know, what your, what the hurdles are that, you know, the con- contracting officers and contractors both um, face in the government's current acquisition process and when it comes to, you know, buying, you know, product, IT services and products. Yeah, thank you. So, so one of the things that we hit in the last segment was related to audit compliance. And I think of that as almost a, a subconscious hurdle. It's there and folks get anxious about agility and taking on new innovation um, with also the need that's inherent to to achieve a clean audit. So in addition to that topic, there's also been a lot of attention and investment over the past several years to apply the FAR to its fullest extent Um, and to really extend the acquisition thinking and to reduce self-censoring and to then simplify and streamline the acquisition workflow. So the FAR is sometimes seen as a hurdle to agility as well. And, and I get it. I mentioned before, it's a massive book of laws. Um, as somebody not like yourself, who does not have a law degree, it was a big hurdle for me just to, to really dive into and start to understand. Rebecca, I didn't say it wasn't a hurdle for me, too. I have to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Some are better equipped to handle it. <laughs> but I don't think that it needs to be this either or, compliance or agility. 
Um, and so we've seen some agencies that are already using strategies that they found that are sanctioned by the FAR in order to innovate within their procurement process to create the agility. It seems to me when you when you were talking about the momentum in the last segment, uh, you know, the, the immediate thought when you talked about, you know, the balance between, uh, you know, agility or being able to have compliance and agility seems to me I went immediately back to mom- momentum and that seems to me one of the chief drivers of what you described that it does. It helps helps streamline that process, but it also balances compliance. Is that fair? Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what we strive to do. Right. So give me some examples now. <laughs> okay. Awesome. <laughs> um, so one is the use of technology-enabled processes. So this is a way to introduce agility in the process while also still, in fact, enhancing your compliance. Um, I talked about vendor self-service as the vendor-facing component. And and with that tool, it enables the vendors to respond to opportunities electronically. But with it, it also has the compliance in that it syncs real-time with SAM.gov in order to validate the entity data. It ensures compliance with response criteria. Um, It makes sure that the vendor is completing all of the necessary fill-ins before that proposal even reaches the inbox of, of the government. And so in order to, to do this, what, what we're doing is we are creating the ability to, we're creating the agility within the process while also maintaining compliance. It takes the lift off of the contracting professionals. They don't have to spend the, their time on these tedious repetitive actions so that they, they're enabled to focus their time on the complex tasks of the acquisition lifecycle that could not be technically enabled. Right. That, and that's a big, to what, what you described, that's a big issue I hear from companies all the time is just the the administrative processes of government contracting that are repetitive and have to be done over and over again. And isn't there, you know, and I spend a lot of time on those, isn't there a better way so that I can, so that you get to the point where the customer and the contractor or the, you know, industry are talking about how to actually meet the requirement and not doing all those, you know, sort of time consuming administrative processes. Do you have so that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's clearly a huge benefit. Do you have other examples you want to talk about? Sure. So looking at the agile methodology, right? The, the enabling agile processes within the COT software implementations, it's not straightforward. Um, it's definitely a challenge, but it allows an agency to write requirements to user stories and business outcomes while then enabling the agency and the SI to work together like we were talking about before. So we're currently partnering with the VA to implement their solution, IFAMS, which is their modern financial and acquisition system that's replacing really um, a legacy system that's been working for a number of decades. Yes, decades. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just casually say decades. (laughs) And, And we're using agile processes there. So within each one of the waves, the team aligns the government's requirements to user stories, and each one of those user stories are focused on outcomes to address the requirements. And then what they can do is organize sprint discussions into those specific business processes to iteratively understand the requirements, um, work on the design and configure the solution, demonstrate the actual outcome so that they're seeing the solution within that sprint, conduct testing, and then how, adjust however they need to. And so working collaboratively like that, the VA is able to see the results of their decisions really early in the process, provide feedback much earlier than than would have traditionally been supported by a waterfall methodology. Yeah. A question about that. It seems to me when you're, when you're working with a customer on 
you know, a project like that, that's going to touch all kinds of different parts of an organization, right? That's a backbone system. So those, when you do that collaboratively, it's, is it incumbent on the agency or department, the customer to bring together all the different stakeholders within the organization who are touched by that system to try to make sure you're, you know, you don't, in a certain sense, I won't say miss anything, but you're thinking about it holistically. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where the VA is really doing this well. They have, um, well, their leadership at the highest level is a champion for the way that this is, this is being implemented using agile processes. And they've aligned product owners from the government with each one of these teams. And those product owners have the depth of understanding of the agency's business processes and what is what the goal or the outcome is expected to be for this new system. And so they are fully ingrained within each one of these sprint teams, providing that insight so that you understand um, the end-to-end business processes and, and have true agency knowledge as we're then designing out the solution. Right. So, so just based on, I mean, that's, it's really kind of, kind of sounds like best practice approach to these things. So is it your sense that you can work through the FAR to get where you want? Or do you, do you think there's things that need to be just generally that people need to rethink in that regard? So absolutely. And, and it's using the FAR, right? It's not so much. I want to hesitate on the working through the far and maybe I read into it more than you meant by the word through and, and not over. I'm a little sensitive <laughs> to, to OTs if we end up talking about them. Oh, we would later. definitely next segment. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. um, it's using the far to its, its greatest extent. There, there's a lot of capability and innovation that's built into the far that it will allow you to do things differently than it's traditionally been done. Um, Folks tend to see a, a rule book like that and believe that, okay, well, since I did it this way in the past and I was successful and compliant, this is the way that I should do it in the future. And I think if we think of the far more as a tool, it opens you up to additional approaches of, of handling things. Yeah. I heard someone once say, I have, you know, as a government agency, I have contracting officers who can make the far sing. Right. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I think there's a lot of capability in the FAR, um, but at the same time, the speed of need and, you know, I think the rise of OTAs is something that should be part of the toolbox, right? And, and I'm just wondering, you know, from your perspective, because it will, you know, we can really get into it in the next segment, but the speed of need and the speed at which technology is changing, you know, does create some challenges when you're talking about government processes to buy something. Is that fair? It does. It, it for sure does. Yeah. So that would be where we pick up in the next segment, Rebecca, we can talk about OTAs and, you know, robotic automation and things like that, that, you know, can help, you know, further streamline the process or bring capability from the private sector to the government. And my guest today is Rebecca Weaver. She is vice president Solution Architect for Contract Writing System Solutions, DOD Programs at CGI Federal. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Rebecca Weaver. She is Vice President and Solution Architect for Contract Writing System Solutions, DOD Programs at CGI Federal. And uh, Rebecca, you mentioned OTAs or OTs um, 
towards the end of the last segment. Um, and so I, I wanted to, you know, focus on that a little bit at the beginning of this section and uh, segment, excuse me, um, and talk, you know, just your assessment on, you know, the role OTAs are playing now and how they're, you know, how they, you know, enable agility, um, you know, bring greater capability, that sort of thing. Perfect. Yeah, so this is another area of acquisition agility that we see on the rise right now. Um, For the right procurement, this is a tool in the acquisition toolkit to enable agencies to rapidly procure and meet their critical agency needs. Um, An OTA or other transaction authority agreement, they're a contracting mechanism that allows agencies to contract directly with uh, suppliers for cutting edge research and development. Um, When the criteria is met, they get to bypass certain federal agency regulations. So they're faster, more flexible, they're more agile than traditional contracts would be. Um, They are specific for R&D or like prototyping arrangements. um, When there's a participation typically from a non-traditional supplier that wouldn't typically know the rigors of the FAR or what it takes to respond to a government contract. Historically, we've seen this from the DOD. They've been the biggest users of the OTAs, and they account for about 90% of the spending because of their unique mission needs. But now we're starting to see them on the rise in other agencies as well. Um, Specifically, as we look at the COVID-19 response effort, the Department of Health and Human Services are now using them to fast track the production of vaccines and medical treatments. Between fiscal year 2019 and 2020, there was more than a double increase of of spending on these OTAs. Um, So what does it mean in terms of of agility? Um, The Defense Innovation Unit, they're a heavy user of the OTAs and they aim to make their contract awards in 60 to 90 days. Um, So if you look at the the common uh, procurement timeline and I don't wanna put a number of days on it, but it's certainly more than 60 to 90 days. The The speed that they're getting from OTAs is allowing them to get these contracts out much faster. But it does tend, and you heard my reaction, I think a little bit um, during the last segment when you mentioned OTAs. I just have to think, if we're looking at these tools to circumvent the regulations, are we perhaps solving this the wrong way? Should we be spending more time looking at the regulations themselves as the root cause and figure out how to reduce those long cycle times to get contracts out? Yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting and good point that to the extent, you know, the OTAs have become a channel, you know, outside the FAR, you know, a non-FAR mandated channel, you know, there's a reason for that, perhaps, right, in the growing demand or use of them. So does that, you know, in a certain sense, there's, you know, it's, it's indication that there should be some self-reflection, you know, within the procurement community and the rule makers like, well, okay, what can we do to, you know, you know, even though, you know, I have folks that, like I said, mentioned in the last segment where they say, yeah, I can contract, I have contracting officers can make the FAR sing. Well, that's, you know, as, I guess it's a solo act perhaps. I don't know. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, maybe there are lessons learned from that contract and officer or their ability to manage to the FAR that can lend itself to opportunities to look for ways to improve it in terms of, you know, time to get to the commercial market to get what what is needed. So, um, yeah, so, so one of the things too, I know that a lot of them are done for research and development. 
in, you know, at the next step, or, uh, do you have a sense of where, what agencies or depart the department is doing in terms of whether they're taking that research and development and turning it into, you know, a follow on or, you know, prototyping and that sort of thing. How, how, how is that, you know, how, what are you seeing in that regard? That's actually been one of the challenges that I've heard is that while you have a successful prototyping environment and, and you want have a tool set now that you want to actually deploy out the, the timeline that it takes for the budget cycle to get the funds to then take on that program will delay you a year or two. And you're, you're typically working with vendors who aren't used to working with the federal government. Many times they're small businesses. They don't have the ability to hold on to that staff and that knowledgeable team until the budget then will support the follow-on work. And so there's some additional analysis and work that needs to be done to figure out how to best support that as well. Yeah, that's kind of, I've heard kind of similar things just in terms of the gap between, you know, you've done a prototype and research and development to actually get to production capabilities and whether it's funding or the process are sort of, you know, it's taking more time than it might otherwise would. So um, let's turn to um, robotic process automation. Um, first of all, Rebecca, <laughs> I am just a lawyer. So what the heck is robotic process automation? Well, first, let's call it RPA or bots so that we don't have to say the words robotic process automation each time because it's it's just so long. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And every time I think of a bot, I think of Rosie from the Jetsons, right? You know, your little Mm. robot that you can physically see that's going to do whatever it is that you're asking for it to do. And so these bots are not rosy. Um, they are IT-based solutions that automate repetitive tasks electronically. So one of the areas that we've seen bots deployed really successfully and creating acquisition efficiency is in the area of contract closeout. Once all the mandatory oh. tasks have been completed by the contracting officer and they've uploaded all the necessary data to the electronic file, the bot is then able to rapidly validate that all of the requirements are complete close out the contract, and send the appropriate notifications. So it allows the contracting staff to remain focused on their mission enablement and and the the complex processes, while this electronic bot follows behind to complete the less complex tasks. That's a good one. I hadn't heard about its use in, you know, contract closeout. You know, just looking to the future as, you know, bots or RPA becomes more capable, it seems to be logically the, you know, the scope of what can be accomplished through using, you know, bots would, o- would only serve to expand and hopefully make the system even more efficient. You have thoughts on uh, that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've partnered with the SSA, Social Security Administration. Um, what that one is actually easier to say is full words instead of the acronym. <laughs> right, right. Um, and so with them, We've created an RPA operations center, and that includes the governance, the change management, and all of the security. Because if you think about bots and, and the technological, techn- technologically intelligent capabilities that are being sent through the system, you need to think about security. Um, but these early bots that they've produced during the incubation activity, they have already reduced uh, a 10-minute manual repetitive activity down to a seven-second RPA task. So within the first year of this incubation period, they've already achieved a return on their investment. It's only going to get better. 
right. Yeah. The kit, what they'll be doing with the expand. So we have a Re- Rebecca, we have about a minute left. And um, I ask, often like to ask guests, like just how did you get into this crazy world of government procurement and become a, you know, a fellow geek. So, <laughs> so how did you get into this industry sector and um, working with the government? I like to think it's incredible luck. <laughs> So I came out of college um, studying biotechnology. My idea was that I was going to go into genetic engineering, and uh, but I came out of college during the big tech boom. And so the first job that I got was with an IT company. Um, And I watched the tech bubble burst and immediately ran for safety and joined the federal government um, or working with the federal government. And so really, it was a series of events that drove me here. And I cannot imagine myself being any happier than I am with the, the career that I've, I've landed in. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, it's interesting how I think to me about the, and I don't know if you've, how you feel, but whether you're a government employee or you're working for a contractor who's supporting the government, um, you touch so many different interesting things that people don't even begin to realize that ultimately touches people's lives, whether it's, you're working with SSA, Social Security Administration, you know, and, you know, that's that mission to, you know, support retirees and all the other, you know, benefits that people are provided or working with the VA, right? And, you know, support your, at the end of the day, you're supporting veterans' health and well-being, you know, as part of that, that, that agency's, that department's, excuse me,'s mission. So it's just, to me, that's one reason why I liked it. Um, just as oh, you're touching very important things um, in a way that you know, you know, you might be the unsung heroes of you know the, the government, but um, and fundamentally making a difference. So, so I want to thank you, Rebecca, for being on the show today. Uh, my guest today has been Rebecca Weaver. Rebecca is vice president and solution architect for contract writing system solutions DoD programs at CGI Federal. And I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number. 
the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.